these are definitely new and emerging trends. That's the beauty of digital. It's what was good yesterday is probably already out of date today. And the next hottest thing is coming down the pipe. So it's constantly staying ahead of it. And that's what makes it exciting. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Growth Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Max Aid. And today on the show, we have an attorney named Dan Scheinker. And if you're wondering why we're talking to a lawyer today, it's because Dan is also a marketer. He spent time at Google and in the startup world. And today, he helps other lawyers and B2B businesses drive more leads. So for any of you who are lead generation focused, you're not going to want to miss this conversation. Let's get to it. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, Max. Thanks for having me. So the first time we spoke about the Growth Collective Network, I was super interested in your background, and I knew we had to do a podcast on this. You're a lawyer, but you're also a marketer. So tell me a little bit about how that happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to happy to go on a bit of my background. So it is true. I am a lawyer. Um, definitely, definitely a passionate marketer as well. So I, I grew up in Massachusetts and I went to undergrad at University of Delaware. Always an entrepreneur at heart. After I graduated undergrad, I started an Asian American snack food business with a partner um, called Wantums. We were selling wonton chips and fusion dips, sort of like an Asian take on chips and salsa. Had the startup bug. We had did some initial market research and saw there was definitely demand for, for Asian flavors in the snack food industry and wanted to, wanted to fill that gap and you know, make this consumer product. So we got on some initial grocery store shelves. We did a Costco roadshow. We were in Wegmans and Roach Brothers, some other regional grocery stores. Learned a lot through the endeavor. I was, I was all things sort of digital, digital marketing and outreach. So responsible for you know, teaching, teaching the consumers about this new sort of snack that we were making. We had, like I said, we had some success, but ultimately had to close the doors after about a year. It's an incredibly competitive industry. We were definitely the, the small guys on the shelves and had to pay stocking fees at the grocery stores and um, used co-packers to make our chips. So we were in, sort of in between the manufacturing and the, the ultimate sales of the product. So like I said, had to close our de- doors after a year, but learned a lot and knew I always wanted to go to law school. Started at Northeastern Law School shortly thereafter. Enjoyed that tremendously. It got me back to Boston, sort of where I grew up. And there, I, I wanted to use the skill set for web development, PPC, and and sort of business growth, and continue doing that in this law legal vertical and, and legal industry that I was so getting involved with, with law school. So I opened a small ad agency while while I was also a student, helping small law firms and solo practitioners really grow their client base. So I was a law student, sort of nine to five, and then after five o'clock, put on my digital marketing hat and got a few clients that way and really enjoyed it. As I was going through the three-year program, getting closer towards the end, I, I learned, you know, maybe I, I like the business development of a law firm and, and the, the marketing aspect more so than actual the research and writing and, and traditional legal work and never really stopped feeling like homework to me. So I was thinking, you know, what what is next? I'm getting close to graduation. I studied for the bar, which was a... A big undertaking. I took it and thankfully passed in Massachusetts and New York. And I figured, you know, let me apply to Google. I have this background in PPC. 
just graduating. Let me see if there's a role for me as a, as a legal secretary or just get my foot in the door in the law department. So I shot a resume over to Google, had a really great recruiter who saw my resume and said, you know, there's not really a path for you in the, in the law department as a, as a new grad, but we have this interesting sales role in Michigan. If you'd like, I can divert your resume there. And, you know, me just saying, if it, if it keeps me in the game, it keeps me in the game, absolutely. So that sort of led to, to my first gig with Google, where I started in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in the scaled sales program. This is just, it's just incredible to me because you just so rarely see an overlap between legal and marketing. And so, so I just think that this is, this is just fascinating how you're bridging these two very different industries that, all, that often work together, but, but very different. Right. So you're, you're coming out of law school, <laughs> you've passed the bar and now you're going to go to Google of all places. How was that transition? Because those, again, very different industries, right? Yeah, it was definitely tough. I got when I was telling a lot of my friends I was graduating with or, you know, professors at law school, sort of decision I was making, I was taking this non-practicing job, got a lot of strange looks and, and definitely had a lot of explaining to do. So I, I wavered over it for a long time, but you know, ultimately took the plunge is a bit of sort of following my heart and, and what I what I knew I really liked doing and what I what I, the skill set I wanted to further and it ended up being an awesome decision. Like I said, I started in Michigan in Ann Arbor and it was some of the best year. I spent about three years there, some of the best years of my life. I met some incredible friends in the Ann Arbor community and the Google community. So much fun. These are some of my, you know, lifelong friends now. And it really gave me an environment where, you know, I continued to Develop that legal marketing skill set inside and out. You know, often the people you worked with are the people you hung out with, and so you're talking work all the time. That could be good, that could be bad, but it definitely makes you a skilled marketer. So I you know, really value that time, and, and looking back, I'm, I'm happy with the decision. Yeah, I don't think you could have chosen a better team. I was on that team, as you know. I met my wife on that team. I met some of my best uh, lifelong friends on that team. So, so <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about there. So for people who are listening, who aren't familiar with that team, tell us about like the types of companies you're working with at Google and how that whole thing worked. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, it's, it was Google's scaled advertiser program. So I got a book of a few hundred advertisers and it was non-verticalized. So these could be locksmiths, they could be restaurants, they could be beauty salons, and they also could be law firms. And you were the account rep for this, for this group of businesses. So, you know, having individual consultations, really learning what they were looking to achieve when it came to digital and helping, and helping in that regard. So it was a great experience for me. I got to see sort of a digital approach for a variety of businesses. But I always, I always kept and had that sweet spot in my heart for, for those law firm clients that I was able to work with. I mean, even, you know, some of my friends who had a similar book of business, they had some law firms. I would always sort of, you know, have my ear perked up when um, they were on their legal consultations because I, you know, as much experience and as many law firms as I could work with, I always, I always wanted that to happen. I See, see I, I, when I was on that team, I had the opposite feeling where I had such a hard time talking to the lawyers right because you're so busy yeah that's that's um, that could be common yeah I, I know some some of the some of my friends on the team they'd say like the law firms were the consultations they you know didn't like the most and for me they were the ones i wanted the most so it's sort of atypical in that in that yes. uh, regard but it, it worked out because i was able to help them out and you know everything's everything's good 
That's awesome. So you spent some time on, on this team, the scaled team, working with hundreds of advertisers, fixing up their ads accounts, making sure they can drive some ROI. What, where'd you move next? Yeah. Growing up on the East Coast, I, I always had my eyes to get back to an East Coast office. So I wanted to make the move to New York. And as, as Google account support goes, the teams outside of scaled often, depending on spend on the platform, sort of dictates the level of support you get directly from your account management team. So I, I look to this large customer sales team, which is, you know, the, the one-to-one relationships, sort of the, the white glove service that Google offers to their direct and larger advertisers. And I wanted to be, you know, and, and work with any and all law firms that spent to the threshold of getting that level of support. Ultimately, that falls, there, there aren't, you know, so many law firms in, in the country that, that get all the way up there. So there's not its own entire team for legal so that legal vertical that does get that high level of support rolls under a home service model. So I ultimately jumped to the home service team, and that gave me the ability to work with some of the largest law firms and legal advertisers in the category, going really deep on their accounts and sort of a one-to-one working relationship, learning what works well and helping them out through the full use of all, all Google Suite products. So that's you know, the Google search, the YouTube, and the um, display products. So give us a sense. I mean, when you say large, large spending customers, I mean, are we talking uh, hundreds of thousands a month? Are we talking millions a month? What does that look like? Yeah, typically millions a month. There's a, there's a moving bright line threshold, but typically, typically millions a month to, to rise up to that, that team and that level of support. Got it. And, and I, you know, I, at least the way that I view paid is that the business model is usually dictates what's going to work, what mix of products is going to work for that type of company. Tell us about, for, for legal specifically, what does that sort of ad product stack look like and, and where is majority of the, the results come from? Yeah, so legal is definitely a... And the advertisers, you know, I, I generally work with, it's a search-heavy and lower funnel acquisition path. If you think about it, what is a legal advertiser? Well, they're a lead, gen, lead generation client within a given geography. As you know, there's jurisdictional rules, where, what states law firms can work with clients. So geography definitely, definitely plays a very important part. And that's why, you know, legal clients can be treated in a similar way to home service clients. If you think about a business that's looking to generate consultations for lawn care or home security or things like that, they similarly are looking to schedule appointments within a given geography. So it's a similar digital approach to law firms. So to win there, it's really, you know, getting your clients ads one click or call away from their ideal client profiles who have already shown intent and are already looking for their services. So often it'll be queries like, you know, law firm near me. It's like, how can we get our clients' law firms one click away from that type of user who's already sort of put their hand up and saying, you know, I am, I'm an ideal client and looking for these types of services. Yeah, and one thing that I think a lot of companies overlook, and I, I know that you've probably seen this from your time at Google, is the experience after the click or after the call. 
right? I mean, you'll we've worked with tons of companies who spend tens of thousands a month on ads to a web page that would probably cost them five thousand to to redesign. That would convert a lot better, but they don't make that investment. And I think that there's similar uh, potential issues with whoever is answering the phone, right? And is that the right person to to collect the right information and close the deal? Can you speak a little bit about best practices for law firms and other home services companies after the click or after the call? Absolutely. Yeah, the qualification of the lead and the phone intake system that you have in place is almost as vital, if not equally as vital, as the ad program that sort of generates that lead to begin with. So in terms of best practices, you definitely want to be equipped to answer these phones you know, right away, answer the, any lead forms that come in, you know, have your outbound systems in place to get to them while they're warm. You're paying tons for this type of click engagement. You don't want any of it to fall on deaf ears. And then once you have the client on the line, you want to have a well-defined qualification criteria already established and qualification scripts. So in legal, it's often a certain case type that you're looking for. There could be a statute of limitations within a given time frame. So you're saying, you know, did this event happen to you within this given time frame? So you can qualify, do they fit all our criteria to sign up for a case? Then you ultimately want to sign them up for a case. That qualification is something specific to your business. For an ad platform like Google or Facebook or anything that's bringing that signal, it is, they don't know what makes you know a more qualified lead for one business versus another. They're able to tell the signals of what is gonna generate that first phone call. So it's really important when you have that sort of qualification measurement and you're taking it through a CRM or whatever organizational tool you have, the most sophisticated marketers are then able to take that qualification signal and get that back into the ad platform in an offline conversion way. So now the ad platform can learn past, okay, not only is this type of traffic generating calls, but for this specific advertiser, this type of traffic is generating the best type of calls. It allows you to optimize your spend moving forward and get more and more efficient. So I want to get into this because I think it's just fascinating. And it was one of the things that really jumped out to me in our first call, which is this offline conversion tracking. And for those of you out there who who maybe don't know what that term means, offline conversion tracking is taking business data that doesn't exist in a particular ad network. It doesn't exist in your Google Ads account. It doesn't exist in Facebook. Those platforms are just looking at number of leads, right? And then importing a, a something deeper. So Dan, it sounds like you have a lot of experience in that and it's something that I don't think enough people are taking advantage of. So can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, when I work with lead gen advertisers, our ideal goal is to get to this offline conversion tracking sort of sophistication and phase and thereby I can we can have confident that every dollar we spend on ads is making our future buys smarter and more effective because we're telling the machine learning and smart bidding systems of an ad platform what is actually effective. So taking a step back and thinking about, you know, how does that work for a lead gen advertiser? Well, if you're spending on Google for example, your for you're spending on potential calls, or you're spending on potential leads for phone calls and lead forms. So it's it's easy to track within the system 
when any potential click traffic or any engagement with your ad leads to a phone call or a lead form. But at that stage, they're now communicating with your business and your intake agent or your intake system is qualifying. Did that phone call convert to the lead that we want? Is this a potential client or was it a miss? So that step of that qualification happens outside of the ad platform system within whether it be your CRM or whatever tool you're using to, to track that qualification. What most successful advertisers then do is have a mechanism, and this is through an offline conversion import. So it's to get that data. You've, you've now qualified it. You've now said, this click traffic that led to this call, it, yes, it was a good lead. It was a great lead. It wasn't a good lead at all. Whatever, however you're scoring it, however you're qualifying it, that then lives in a way that can be ingested back into the ad platform via offline conversion import where the ad platform can see, okay, back to this click identifier, it led to a call and I have now been told by the advertiser that was not a great call. Let's not prioritize future spend to, get, to go after other clicks that look like that. Let's, let's spend elsewhere. Or conversely, you could send back the signal, this was, this was our top performing lead, this was a grade A lead, and then the op- system knows to optimize towards that. So it allows you to sort of avail your account with the most sophisticated smart bidding and auto-optimizing mechanisms that, that you know, get the best efficiency via your ad spend, but it allows you to do it to make sure it's right for your account. If you think about it, it's, it's sort of hacking lead gen advertising to, be, to live more in an e-commerce environment. With an e-commerce advertiser, it's easy for the ad platform, Facebook or Google, to know what the value of that click was because they either bought the product or they didn't. You could track the revenue because it's, it's defined. This is giving that sort of extra qualification criteria in a, to a lead gen world that isn't as specific within the ad environment, but it's enabling, it to, it's enabling you to run your ads in a way that is similar. And, you know, I think this is relevant for every B2B advertiser, not even just the, the local stuff. I know, you know, the, the local businesses have this issue where a lot happens over the phone. But even the folks who are doing most of this online, in my opinion, are not doing enough to qualify online or not doing enough to pass back those deeper funnel metrics from their sales team after the lead enters Salesforce. So let's talk a little bit about smart bidding. Uh, this this is like kind of the uh, something that when you talk to folks who have been in SEM a long time, a lot of them are still remember the days when Google or Facebook's bidding algorithms were horrible. And, and they, they actually tell their clients, no, we can beat them. Like we have our own bidding technology. But tell us a little bit about you know, how, how you've utilized smart bidding to help some of these lawyers and other services businesses. Yeah, um, I think smart bidding is to ultimately have the most optimized campaigns. From what I've seen in my experience, those are the ones leveraging smart bidding most effectively. I don't know the exact number. It changes, you know, weekly. But if you think within the Google Ads interface, between all the demographic targeting, all the geographic things, time of day, et cetera, et cetera, there's several hundred different levers that you could pull from a targeting perspective in real time to affect your bid on a particular click. And now there's no way 
any human. They could, you know, be in the account as, as you know, 24-7. There's no way in real time they could do that as well as a machine with the actual data as to what yields success. So I, I don't think it's a question of can you get more efficiency with smart bidding. It's more for the smart bidding to work really well. It needs to understand those success signals as as best as possible. So if you're confident that you are sending back in the conversion data for your particular business as to what worked from a lead and what didn't, then that now you're giving that smart bidder a deep, rich signal to work with, saying, "Okay, this click identifier has was really good for this particular advertiser. This one was not." And that's where that's where you get sort of the best execution on any sort of smart bidding. So you mentioned how everything today is very, very, it sounds very search heavy for these types of businesses. But where do you see things going in the future as that particular part of or that particular campaign type or channel starts to get more and more competitive? Yeah, great question. I see digital video starting to become the efficient channel that search has been for these advertisers. I mean, specifically in legal, the the case values can be so high that Google search is one of the most, ex- the legal, legal vertical in particular is one of the most expensive industries in all of Google search. You often have 50 plus dollar clicks when it comes to search for a lot of these legal advertisers. Um, di- digital video, a view on Digital video for the same type of targeting could be 50 cents versus that click on search. Why it hasn't been so embraced is it's not as performant. It's much harder to measure the performance. Did this person who viewed a digital ad, did they ultimately call? How can you tie that back and how can you do that sort of sophisticated measurement and smart bidding like we talked about? That hasn't been possible with digital video up through very recent times. Now I'm seeing more and more whether it be YouTube or Facebook ads, they're putting out these engagement, new engagement ways for people to interact with video. So it's like I'm seeing the start of YouTube videos with click to call buttons and the same for Facebook. Once that comes out and and is really well developed and can be measured the same way as search, there's no reason that channel can't be equally as effective or potentially more because we know video can be really engaging than a lot of these search channels. And all, the, all these digital programs are based off auction inventory. So if it's a place where the industry hasn't really adapted and is just sort of emerging, those advertisers that embrace it first and are really good, those lead gen advertisers that are really good at coming up with a performance-based digital video program, I think they're gonna be tremendously successful in the coming months. You know, I think one of the, the challenging things about search is that you're competing with people in your industry for those terms. And so if it's a high value lead to you, it's a high value lead to everybody else. And that drives up the auction pressure. And one of the things that I really like about the potential of video, as you mentioned, is that if you're targeting a user, you might be targeting, you might be tar- hitting that user on, on inventory that's less competitive you might be competing with people who have a totally different business model than you that monetize users in a different way and make much less money. So I think for the the lawyers out there or anyone who drives really high value leads, 
I think this is a pretty exciting development. Yeah, and, and often what I'm finding too is a lot of these businesses and advertisers have this video content already ready to go. It could be edited down quickly. So it's not sort of reinventing the wheel. It's just re-leveraging and having a new use for content that they already have readily available. And this, I think this is another good example of something where it, when I was at Google five years ago, I would have never recommended video to any performance client. And so it's my tendency to resist this strategy even now, right? And that was the same way we all felt about the early versions of smart bidding and the machine learning bidding from Google and Facebook. But it just goes to show that things really move fast in these in this space and you kind of always have to retest. I, I totally agree. It's like these are definitely new and emerging trends. That's that's the beauty of digital. It's if you know what is what was good yesterday is probably already out of date today and there's the next the next hottest thing is coming down the pipe so it's constantly staying ahead of it and that's what makes it exciting i'm excited to see you come up with a tiktok strategy for lawyers (laughs) (laughs) when we when we when those gen z lawyers start graduating from law school that's going to be the channel is that you're absolutely right (laughs) dan any last advice or tips for for anyone out there that that is is looking to grow their legal business or another a similar lead gen focused business i think if if it's an advertiser that's just starting out i think the for lead gen focused advertisers that have a defined client profile your first dollars should be spent on those most lower funnel tactics i often hear from lead gen businesses that are weighing different marketing proposals or different approaches and they're thinking about you know, how can I do some do some sort of awareness building and how can I do an educational piece to my component? Does it mean blog posts? Does it mean social engagement where they haven't yet spent in the in the area of people who are looking for my services, have taken to Google and are looking for my services and are one click to call away from my business? It's like, let's let's make sure you are recouping all of the potential traffic and first potential clients from that realm before even worrying about the awareness and and other tactics that aren't going to be as performant, can't be measured right away. There's definitely space for that, but I think it's sort of like a crawl, walk, run approach. And it's important to just be aware of first, take care of that lower funnel, make sure you're getting those leads first and foremost, because they're going to be the easiest and have the highest ROI. Dan, this was one of my favorite episodes so far. Thanks for joining. I think people are going to have They get a ton of value out of this, so I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. Just a reminder that you can hire Dan right now to help you with your search marketing or your lead generation efforts. He's one of hundreds of incredible freelance marketers in the Growth Collective Network. So head on over to growthcollective.com and we will hand match you with the marketers that are the best fit for your business. Today's episode was edited and produced by my wonderful brother-in-law, Dave Reinecke. And we would be super grateful if you could give us a like, a review, and your favorite podcast app. We'll see you next time.